I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and today we're going to be in Titus chapter 2. Now, Titus is located in the New Testament, so if you're not familiar with how to find it, go to the uh, table of contents in your Bible, uh, find the New Testament, and then Titus is about three-quarters of the way down the list of books in the New Testament, but two-thirds to three-quarters. Now, if you're in an app, uh, just pull down the list of the books of the Bible, and Titus is about three-quarters of the way uh, down that list. So Titus chapter 2, back in the day when I was in college, I had a very good friend of mine that had a great opportunity to go be a missionary in Australia for the summer. Um, and so he tells this story about how he, he uh, got all of his stuff together, packed for this three-month uh, trip, this missionary trip to Australia. He got everything ready got on the plane, he had packed all of his stuff in a fanny pack, you know, put his, his uh, wallet and his passport and all of his important uh, valuables in this fanny pack. He travels all the way to Australia, he gets there, uh, there's a church member where he's going to be serving at who comes and picks him up and they, they immediately took him to the church where there were a bunch of the church members waiting to greet him and get to know him and, and things like that. So he's talking to all these Australians at this church, and one of them looks down and asks about his fanny pack that he was wearing, because they had never seen one. They didn't have them there. And the person asked, what is that? To which my friend said, oh, it's a fanny pack. And he said the entire room went dead silent. And he looked around and thought, oh no, what have I done? And one of the caring church members walked up to him and said, uh, you need to understand that in Australia, the word fanny is obscene. It's, it's a cuss word, and you can't use that here. And so he learned very quickly that even though Australians spoke or speak English, they use some English words differently than Americans do. And that can be said of many of the cultures around the world that may speak a similar language but may have different usages within the language. You can also say that about the difference in language over time. Uh, for example, if you were to go and look into Shakespeare, uh, a Shakespearean play, much of the English language that Shakespeare and the people of his day used are unfamiliar. They're unfamiliar to us today because the English language has changed and shifted over time. Meanings of words have, ha, have transmorphed. They've, they've moved into some other meaning. And today we're going to talk about a word that we find in our Bible quite often uh, that has a slightly different meaning than the way we normally use it as American English-speaking people today. Now, uh, keep in mind, we're still in our series called The Church and Culture. And, and throughout this series, we've been discussing what it looks like to live as a follower of Christ in a culture that maybe doesn't like the followers of Christ all that much. And so today, I want to take a look at a word that we use quite often from the Bible. So take your Bibles, turn to Titus chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 11. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Now, let me give you background as you're looking for verse 11. Titus was a young man. He was a pastor that Paul had mentored. And Paul writes this letter, Titus, to this young pastor, just giving him advice and helping him to be the best pastor that he can be. And look at what Paul instructs Titus or tells Titus in chapter 2, verse 11. It says this, 
For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Stop there for a second. Isn't that exactly what we're talking about in this series with church and culture? How to, to be trained to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and instead to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's exactly what we've been talking about for weeks. Pick up with me now in the next verse, verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself, up, uh, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And now, I love what Paul has to say here, but I want to focus on the beginning of verse 13, a, a statement, a phrase that he uses. Look with me again at verse 13. He says, waiting for our blessed hope. Today, I want to focus on that word, hope. After all, it's in our mission statement. You see, uh, the, the, this church, First Scottsdale, exists to lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus. That hope that can only be found in Jesus. Now, let me give you an example of a biblical word that has changed over time. If you were to go read 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4, you would read what is commonly referred to as the love chapter of the Bible. It's love is patient, love is kind, and it goes on and on, and it expresses, it defines, it, it shows you what biblical agape love, agape being the Greek word uh, used there for the word love, it, it's this love that is unbounding. It, it, it's, it's limitless. It has no, no restrictions on it. And it's the kind of love that God loves us with and calls others to or calls us to love others with in turn. But an interesting thing about that chapter, if you read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 in the King James Version, it doesn't say anything about love. It uses the word charity. Now, in today's world, charity is the acts of kindness or giving or serving or donating to those that are less fortunate than we are. But in the days when the King James Version Bible was written, charity meant uh, a brotherly love, a biblical brotherly love. Now that word has changed over time. And we can say the same thing about the word hope. You see, hope in the Bible, in the passage we just read and elsewhere in the Bible, means us something a little different than the way we use the word hope in our English language today. You see, today, uh, our English use of hope tends to lean into like a wishful thinking. You know, we, we say, I hope you have a great vacation. It's that idea that hope is this, this wishful thinking that something may happen or uh, some wishful thinking that, uh, that something good uh, will take place. 
but it's not a word of certainty. It, it can also mean like a, a positive thinking. Uh, don't give up on hope. Uh, you, can, you can do it. You know, the, this idea that hope is some kind of positive thinking, positive mentality, positive attitude uh, as we live our lives. But the hope that Paul speaks of here in Titus 2 and many other places, I'll use some more examples, Paul's hope has nothing to do with wishful thinking or a positive attitude. He didn't wishfully think that God's salvation would be available to us, as he, he says here in, in chapter 2, verse uh, 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's not wishfully thinking that Jesus is going to come again. So what does he mean? You see, Paul, when he uses the word hope, when you see that word in the New Testament, that word speaks of something completely different. Thinking about Titus chapter 2, Paul absolutely knew and had 100% confidence that Jesus would come again. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, verses 24 and 25. He says this, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see, Paul here and elsewhere, I'll show you more instances, hope is used by Paul as something that he knew. He knew that God was faithful and would do all that he said to do. You see, Paul's references to hope are about a certainty that he has through faith. He had the same confidence and hope that Jesus would fulfill everything that he said he would do in the same way that we can have confidence that one plus one equals two. When, when you look at a piece of paper and it has one plus one and an equal sign, you don't sit and think, I wishfully think, or I have a positive attitude that one plus one is two. You can confidently know for a fact that one plus one equals two. That is the kind of hope that Paul has when he speaks of it in the Bible. You see, he knew that God was in control. He knew that God could be trusted. He knew that he didn't have to worry about all of the things in the world happening around him or in his own life. Even if sometimes he had no idea what God was doing or if he didn't particularly like what God was doing, he knew that God was trustworthy, that he was sovereign and that he could place all of his faith in God and what he was doing in Paul's life. He knew that he could trust. You see, and that leads me to today's big idea. And if you've ever listened to one of my messages, you know that I usually give one simple statement that, that drives the main point of the message uh, for that week. And, and today's big idea is this. Hope is the absolute confidence in God and his word. Let me say that again. Hope is the absolute confidence in God and his word. That's what biblical hope is. 
It is an unwavering confidence in God, who He is and what He said He will do. It is a hope that is so strong that Paul literally staked his entire life on that hope. Paul didn't wishfully think that God was real. He confidently knew it. He didn't wishfully think that Jesus was going to come again and fulfill everything that the entire Bible said. He knew Jesus was going to do that. It was the foundation in Paul's life through which he made all of his decisions, evaluated all the situations in his life, uh, through which he determined what he was going to do next in his life. Uh, Listen to something else that Paul writes. This is Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. And he says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we have also obtained access by faith to this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Think about what Paul is saying there in Romans chapter 5. Hope does not put us to shame because we know that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's not wishful thinking. That's not positive attitude or or positive outlook. That is absolute confidence in God and his word. Let's let's re-examine what Titus 2, 11 through 13 says. Look with me again. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live in self-control, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says that the return of his God and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the blessed hope in his life. He doesn't mean that he, he kind of wishes God's going to return or that it might be nice if he returned. He means that he has absolute confidence in Jesus' return. Peter says the same thing. Uh, Peter, when you go into 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, in verse 15, he speaks about how we must be ready to defend the, the hope that we have in our hearts and to do that defense with gentleness and respect. But when he's talking about defending the hope that we have, again, he's not talking about wishful thinking. He's calling us to defend the absolute confidence that we have in God. Hope meant something different in the Bible. It wasn't what we think of as hope in today's day and world. So this moves us to how do we apply the word hope into our own lives? There's a reason why we have that word in our mission statement. There's a reason why uh, First Scottsdale says that we exist to lead every generation to the life-changing hope 
in Jesus. We're saying that we want to lead people to the life-changing confidence in God that can only be found in Jesus. That certainty that Jesus loves you, wants to change your life, to rescue you from your sin and bring you eternal life instead. This statement is not, does not have anything to do with wishful thinking. We're talking about absolute trust in Jesus. So think about this for a second. If hope does not mean wishful thinking or positive attitude, but instead means absolute confidence in God and what he says he will do, then don't we claim to know how life, how, the, how history will end, how, how, the, how the world and everything in existence will come, what will happen? Don't we know that Jesus has already conquered sin and death He's conquered the powers of darkness. Shouldn't that affect the way that we interpret and respond to all of the events of the world around us and the events of our own lives? That is applying hope to the way we live. You see, we know Romans 8 guarantees us that all things work together for our good, for those who believe in Jesus. If we have that hope, that confidence that God is working out all things for our good, for his glory, then shouldn't that affect the way we view the things that happen in our lives or the way that we view the things that happen in this world? Let me take this another direction. We know that Jesus was and is the son of God, that he came He lived a perfect life. He never sinned once. We know with confidence that he died on a cross and that death, the shedding of his blood, forgave us of our sins, rescuing us from the consequences of our sins, which is eternal punishment. And then on the third day, we know that Jesus rose from the grave in victory. And that we can have, instead of eternal punishment, we can have eternal life if we believe in him, completely uh, commit our lives to him and tell others about him. That's hope. The knowledge, the confidence that we have that all of those things about Jesus are true. That is the hope that we have in our lives. That's what hope is. You see, if our sins are forgiven, if our destination of eternal life in Jesus is determined, if Jesus has a plan and a purpose for your life and also has a plan and a purpose for everything that happens in this world, then worrying or freaking out about all the things that happen, our finances, our relationships, um, uh, the latest court decisions or the, the, the moral direction of our culture, none of that stuff should be something that we worry or freak out about. We shouldn't have anxiety or fear over those things, just like we talked about last week. The godly response is living in the faith and trust that we have in Jesus because of the hope, the confidence, the absolute confidence that we have in God and his word. 
Instead, we don't live in fear. We live in trust, in hope. We live in the hope that Jesus provides. We live in the hope that Jesus is victorious. And his plans for us in this world are good. They have a purpose and a reason. Maybe you're watching or listening right now and maybe you are struggling right now. If you're going through a difficult time, if, if hope is something, if, if confidence in something greater than you is something that really sounds appealing, if the idea of not having to live in worry and anxiety and fear is something that uh, sounds like a, a good thing for your life, uh, Jesus wants you to know that he loves you. He cares for you. He came and died. He paid the ultimate price to save you from your sins if you will believe in him. And if you want to know more about Jesus, if you want to know more about his life, his teachings, his death and resurrection, whatever it may be, if you want to know more about what it looks like to begin a journey with Jesus, or if you're ready to make a decision for him, I want you to reach out to us. Uh, go into the, the post section of this video and down at the bottom, there's a link that will take you to our website's contact us page. I want you to click that link. Go over there now, fill out that form and I will reach out to you as soon as possible. I would love to talk to you and answer any questions you may have about Jesus and what it looks like to follow him. Jesus wants to provide you with hope the life-changing hope that can only be found in Jesus. And so respond, click that link, reach out to us, let us have the opportunity to answer any questions you may have about Jesus and following him. But let me bring this back around to the idea that this whole message series is based off. This series is called Church and Culture. And as I said, it's, it's all about living as followers of Jesus in a culture that doesn't really like the followers of Jesus. So let me ask you this. If we're going to live like that, like the followers of Jesus in a culture that doesn't really like us all that much, we must live in the type of hope that is absolute confidence in God, not some kind of wishful thinking or positive attitude. That, that's not going to get us anywhere. If we're gonna live like followers of Jesus, we must live in the hope of Jesus, the hope that can only be found in believing and following him, the hope that can only be found through the strength and the power and the provision of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. We must have that hope. We must live knowing, confidently knowing that God is true. What he says is true and he will do it. That is hope. And so let me close with this question. What is hope to you? Is it wishful thinking? Is it some type of attitude, you know, I, I've, I live in hope. I have a positive attitude. Is it one of those things? Or is hope in your life an absolute confidence in God and his word? Not wishful thinking, but absolute confidence.
Where is your hope? Where is your trust? And how is that reflected in your life? Because I guarantee you, if you have the hope that this book is talking about, people will notice. People will want the hope that you have in your life. They'll long after it. Let's take a moment. Let's go to the Lord and let's ask Him to reveal to us the ways that we don't have our hope founded in Him and then ask Him to give us that hope. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much for today, for this opportunity that we have to come together here online and worship and pray and hear your word. And Lord, we want to focus on hope. We want to focus on the biblical hope that is found in your word that we can only have through believing in Jesus. Lord, my prayer today is that you would help us to understand where our hope is. What do we trust? What do we have absolute confidence in? Lord, we pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to have hope in you. Not wishful thinking, not positive attitude, but an absolute confidence in you and what you say through your word. Lord, we pray for that kind of hope in our lives, the kind of hope that impacts every decision we make, every evaluation that we have of the world around us or our own situation, a hope that is founded and anchors our life to our faith. We thank you, Lord, for the hope, the blessed hope, as Paul refers to it in Titus 2. We thank you for the blessed hope that's found in Jesus. And we pray that you would help us to live in that hope so that we, as we live our lives in hope, the people around us will see Jesus through our hope. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.